Hello and welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. My name is Marta and my partner in podcast here is Megan. Uh, if you haven't listened to us before, this is the podcast where we take things that happen in our human lives and find psychological research around these things. Our hope is that by the end of each episode, we have told you something that you didn't know and probably something that we didn't know either. Definitely something I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the title, Who Knew We Didn't. So if that is something that interests you, stay tuned for more psych facts. Uh, today, we are in the last episode of our relationship series, and we're covering the neuroscience and chemical science of love and attraction. Uh, in our past episodes, especially our sexy time episode, we talked a lot about the chemicals that are in involved in these processes, like in attraction and that sort of thing. So I, Marta, wanted to delve more into this because this kind of stuff really tickles my nerd brain. And so I wanted to go more into it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty much everything about our preamble, I think. I think so. Um, so for today, I'm going to be covering like the chemicals of love and pheromones. And then Marta's going to take over and she's going to focus on testosterone and... Um, um, well, I'm focusing on testosterone, yes. And also like those smell studies where people oh, like, yeah, smell... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, like, how your immune system dictates how attractive you are and yeah. that sort of stuff. So probably I feel like you'll have a lot of studies that will expand further on the stuff that I bring. Mine's kind of like definitions and shit. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Sweet. Um, okay. Well, in that case, I'll get started. Uh, so some general stuff first. There are three major drives in love, libido, attachment, and partner preference. And the primary neuro neurochemicals, which would be like neurotransmitters, sex hormones, and neuropeptides uh, that, that govern, the, govern these drives are testosterone, estrogen, dopamine, uh, oxytocin, ah, oxytocin and vasopressin pardon i said i haven't heard of that one before sorry i was being a dick oh <laughs> thanks uh, um vasopressin and also norepinephrine uh so i will be going through all of these um again so Another general thing, central dopamine pathways mediate partner preference behavior, while vasopressin and oxytocin mediate partner preference and attachment behaviors. Um, sex drive is modulated primarily by activity in the dopamine pathways, um, and testosterone and estrogen regulate activity within these dopamine pathways. Um, and also, I found this that was interesting that I didn't realize adequate levels of testosterone in the brain are important for both male and female sexual behavior. And just a quick note there, I spelled male M-A-I-L in my research. Uh, <laughs> You've got male. <laughs> You've got male. Is that what you just yeah. said? Good one. Um, norepinephrine. Oh, also serotonin. I'll be talking about that today. Norepinephrine and serotonin also have a role here. Uh, it is a little less significant, uh, but they have an effect upon dopamine and oxytocin release in these pathways. Um, so all these chemicals of love seem to be more particular to the activities in which both parties participate rather than to like the nature of the people involved. So basically what I mean by that is it's based more on your like participation in the activity itself than it is on like the nature of the person. Yeah. Um, so let's get straight to the meat of this. Um, okay. Um, so in terms of the chemicals of love, I'm going to start with sex hormones, because I think that's kind of where literally you get your juices flowing. Um, 
first testosterone. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about uh, testosterone because I know that you're going to talk about it. So I apologize in advance yes, if yes. anything I say, like, I steal shit from you. didn't really define too much of testosterone. I just went oh. into the cool studies that I found. Well, then get ready for some definitions. Um, so... 10 words or less, although I'm definitely going to use more than 10 words. Testosterone is the primary male sex hormone. Um, in male humans, testosterone plays a key role in the development of male reproductive tissues like testes and their prostate. It also promotes secondary sexual characteristics like increased muscle and bone mass and growth of body hair. Um, in puberty, testosterone leads to the growth of spermatogenic, spermatogenic tissue in testicles, male fertility fertility, uh, penis and clitoris enlargement because it's in women too, mm-hmm. um, increased libido and frequency of erection or crit- clitoral engorgement. Sorry, I was going to try and say those words as one and it was all going to be a mess. Um, I don't like that word. Engorgement? Yep. Yeah, it's a... Don't like it. No. No, it's not the best word. <laughs> enlargement? I mean... Well, engor- no, it is. It becomes engorged. Thing. Um, In males, testosterone levels affect growth of jaw, brow, chin, nose, and remodeling of facial bone contours, um, muscle strength and mass, shoulders become broader, rib cage expands, um, deepening voice, growth of the Adam's apple. Like it basically gives you that like manly alpha features that that men seem to strive for. Probably because that's what supposed to happen uh, <laughs> yep uh estrogen on the other hand is whoop sorry my computer just went insane um estrogen is the primary female sex hormone and it is responsible for the development of and regulation of female reproductive system and secondary sexual characteristics like boobs widening hips fat distribution those sorts of things um three I didn't know any did you, of this. Did you say winding hips? Widening. Oh. Like, I was like, oh, when you, when you go through no, puberty, no. your hips get wider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember that when that happened? I understand. Yeah. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Do I remember? <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't know any of the things that I'm about to say. So uh, I apologize if this sounds like I'm reading. I'm definitely reading, but I thought this was really neat. There are three naturally occurring estrogens in women. Well, three major naturally occurring estrogens. There's actually several. Um, But the ones I'm going to talk about here are estrone, estradiol, I think is how you say that, and estriol. And each are more prevalent in a woman during different points of her reproductive system's life. So estradiol is the predominant estrogen during your reproductive years, like in post-pubescent women. Estriol is the predominant estrogen during pregnancy. And estrone is the predominant estrogen during menopause. Um, I didn't know any of that. I thought it was just estrogen maybe like rising and lowering. I didn't realize it was actually different estrogens taking like prevalence at different points in your in your life i didn't know that had no idea um both uh estrogen has an effect on both men and women in terms of romantic relationships um in terms of sex and intimacy 
Higher testosterone levels contribute to higher levels of sexual arousal for men and for women. And in terms of love and romance, falling in love decreases men's testosterone levels while increasing women's testosterone levels. And also like when there's children, men actually might have more estrogen Hmm. pumping through their veins. Yeah. Um, So that's what I've got for the hormones of love for those chemicals that's just a little general and then if you remember earlier i said the the testosterone and estrogen both affect the release of dopamine and like how that moves through the dopamine pathways which is why Mm -hmm. it's important in sex and intimacy as you will learn coming up because i'm about to start to talk about dopamine (laughs) i'm doing a very good job of talking today um (laughs) I, yeah, I think you are. Oh, I don't thanks. know if that was sarcastic, but I think you are. I, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. Um, but thank you. So uh, the next few chemicals that I'm going to talk about are all monoamines. Uh, and I'm going to begin with dopamine. Um, dopamine is a neurochemical that is released by the brain basically when you feel good. Um, it's also used when the brain sends signals to muscles in the body to make them move. Um, and it's also thought to make people more talkative and excitable. Dopamine is very similar in structure to norepinephrine, which I'm going to talk about soon. And it's actually its precursor. Um, So yeah, I'm going to talk about norepinephrine in a moment. It's a lot like adrenaline, but there's no adrenaline produced, like no sweating and heart racing, unless the brain can produce enough dopamine first. So like you have to have enough dopamine in your system for norepinephrine to get out there as well. Hmm. Yeah, didn't know. Um, Didn't know any of these things. Uh, In the brain, dopamine functions as a neurotransmitter. The brain has like several distinct dopamine pathways. Pathways. Pathway. Like, and pathway. (laughs) (laughs) You just call them ands now. Yeah. Um, The brain includes several distinct dopamine pathways. And... and (laughs) dopamine makes us feel better and better by activating different receptors in the brain providing feelings of enjoyment Um, this reinforces and motivates people to proactively perform certain activities where like that's going to be the result Um, most types of rewards increase the level of dopamine in the brain and many addictive drugs increase dopamine neural activity Yeah, neural activity. Can I quickly just pause you? Of course. And I'm upset we didn't talk about this in our social media episode because there's uh, the way that like Facebook and social media is structured is specifically to trigger dopamine release. Really? Did you not know that? Yeah. yeah. No, but we show we so should have talked about that in our social media episode. That's cool. So when you said like makes people do certain actions like in advance or what was what was the wording that you used? Uh Um, oh, it, that it reinforces and motivates people to like take certain actions because they know what the result's going to be. Well, subconsciously likes getting likes and getting comments releases dopamine or like causes your body to release dopamine. And so that's why people are active on social media. That's why people are so obsessed with social media. They get addicted to it. Like when you get liked or Mm -hmm. when you give a like, when you get liked, huh? Yep. Crazy. Yep. I had no idea. That's really neat. Sorry, um, completely unrelated to today's episode. But. Well, not really. It's all related to dopamine, but that's really neat. True. That's very cl- smart Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or like smart whoever works for him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's funny. You said smart Zuckerberg and his first name is Mark. So it just like is a perfect fit. Yeah, it is a good smart. fit. Smart. <laughs> um, anyways, back to dopamine. Um 
dopamine is also involved in motor control and in controlling the release of other hormones. Um, sidebar, testosterone, like I mentioned, testosterone and estrogen have an effect on dopamine pathways. So I think that's like kind of what I meant by that, like that dopamine controls the release of, of hormones, but mm-hmm. those hormones also affect how dopamine, dopamine is, is, is moving through you. Okay. Yeah. Um, sociability is also closely tied to dopamine um, and low dopamine receptor binding is found in people with social anxiety. Huh. Yeah. So there's like a physiological basis to social anxiety. Yeah. So like, um, I'm not going to do a very good job of this because I am not like sciencey, but like basically your cells have like receptors for that. Not with that attitude. (laughs) (laughs) You you have like dopamine receptors. You have receptors for all of these things. And so what that means is like people with like a low rate of dopamine receptor, like for for dopamine to bind to those receptors have social anxiety. So yeah, there could be like a, neurochemical basis basis for social anxiety that's cool yeah and also sucky for them yeah it is sucky it's not it's not so great yeah yeah but but also cool to know who knew i didn't know i didn't know those (laughs) things um dopamine is also activated when you um use a lot of addictive substances like nicotine cocaine ecstasy and mdma all of those will uh, increase dopamine release in your body. Um, I also found a source that said if the brain doesn't make enough dopamine, it contributes to the development of Parkinson's because dopamine contributes to motor control. And I did not know that at all. That's the sound of my jaw dropping. Yeah, Marta had a big shock face there. (laughs) What's funny actually is that I can't see your mouth. I just see your pop filter. And so it was like your pop filter was your mouth because I saw your your eyes widen. And yeah, it was like you were like an anime character for a second (laughs) where half your face was your mouth. Anyway, so that's dopamine. So now I want to talk about norepinephrine uh norepinephrine acts as a hormone and a neurotransmitter the general function is to mobilize the brain and the body for action and stimulates the uh, production of adrenaline and like basically it gets your heart racing um it norepinephrine release is lowest during sleep uh rises during wakefulness and reaches higher levels during situations of stress or danger like fight or flight um and uh in the brain norepinephrine increases arousal and alertness um vigilance it enhances formation and retrieval of memory and focuses attention um it also increases restlessness and anxiety uh and in the rest of the body Norepinephrine increases heart rate and blood pressure. It triggers um, the release of glucose from energy stores. <laughs> it increases blood flow to skeletal muscle, reduces blood flow to the gastrointestinal system, and it inhibits, pardon me, in, it inhibits um, voiding of the bladder and gastrointestinal motility. There's a lot of things that norepinephrine does in your body, but basically it's like adrenaline. It's that like, spike yeah i feel like all of these chemicals the part of the thing that makes them so hard to like know what they do is because they have a hand in everything yeah oh yeah dopamine does a ton of shit and norepinephrine does a ton of shit and it's not like this is like the sex thing it's like oh yeah (laughs) sorry i talked right over you 
anyway. I talked right under you. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> um, you're right, though. Yeah, they all do a lot of different things. I guess it's like how they work together at that particular point of sexual activity that like makes them the chemicals of love. Yeah. But yeah, they're also the chemicals of a lot of other things and like things that aren't sexy at all, like kidneys and your GI tract. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so now I want to talk about serotonin. Uh, it also is a neurotransmitter and it is derived from tryptophan, which I didn't know. Huh. Um, yeah. Gobble, gobble. So maybe, maybe that's why we feel so good after a turkey dinner. Um, could it be all the love from our families? Or the tryptophan nah. and the turkey. Um, <laughs> serotonin is primarily found in the GI tract, uh, where it's used to regulate intestinal movements. It's also found in blood platelets and the central nervous system. So again, does a ton of things. Um, serotonin is thought to be a contributor to feelings of well-being and happiness, which is why it's often labeled the happiness hormone, even though uh, it's not a hormone technically. It's a monoamine. Huh. Yeah. Um, it's also released when you're using some drugs like LSD, DMT, MDMA, mescaline, and mushrooms. So oh, like a lot of psychedelic drugs. Serotonin has a lot to do with when you're sleeping too, right? Like your dreams. Oh, does it? Yeah. I think that that's the, like the. And like, doesn't tryptophan make you sleepy? <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> like like uh, surprised squirrel meme. <laughs> what i'm feeling right there uh like dmt for example people say that like you get godlike hallucinations or like spiritual hallucinations yeah, it's or supposed to be the like near death experience drug or something like that yeah but also like i think a lot of those hallucinogens your brain like looks similar when you're on those as when you're sleeping and dreaming huh maybe maybe it chills you out because also, the next point that i have is Drugs that alter serotonin levels are used in treating things like depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and social phobia. SSRIs. Yeah. And yeah. MAOIs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, though, all of that research that I have about, like, the dreamlike hallucinations or whatever is from things I read on Reddit. So, possible it's true. Also, very possibly a crock of shit. Could be. Could so. be. Yeah. Well... Whatever makes you feel good. <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> potato, potato. Um, so next up we have oxytocin, uh, a peptide hormone that is produced in the hypothalamus area of the brain. Hypothalamus. Uh, it's released by the posterior... Hypothalamus. Oh, not hypothalamus. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the idea of like just a hippo in Named there. thalamus? <laughs> So funny. <laughs> Who knew we were so punny? Oh, not me at all. Anyway, yeah, Our audience is like, no, no, you're not. Uh, it's released by the posterior pituitary gland. It's known as the bonding hormone because it plays a role in social bonding, uh, both in sexual reproduction in both sexes and during and after childbirth. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent because I found a lot of stuff that was uh, interesting about childbirth and oh. um, oxytocin that I didn't know. And it like very much explains, like truly explains the whole baby childbirth. bonding yeah. shit. Um, yeah. Uh, so 
like it does some crazy things to pregnant women and women who have just had babies. Um, when a woman is lactating, oxytocin is the thing that makes the milk come out. And as the baby eats and stimulates the nipple, that triggers receptors in hippo named thalamus to make oxytocin start spurting out in intermittent bursts. So like while you're breastfeeding, like as you feel the baby eating, Suckling. like it, like just oxytocin is just intermittent bursts going through you, making you feel all good about that baby getting fed. Oxytocin also causes contractions during the second and third stages of labor to pre prepare your cervix for dilating for when the baby comes. How Didn't does, know that. How does your body know like, oh, this is the oct oxytocin that's supposed to like explode my vagina or like this is the oxytocin that's supposed to like make me feel good about my baby drinking my milk. Um, because of all the other chemicals and hormones true, true, communicating true, 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 with true, each true, other. True, 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 true. <laughs> so that's true? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say. I, you, yeah, you said it a few times. Also during pregnancy, oxytocin crosses the mother's placenta. It reaches the fetal brain and it induces a switch in the baby's brain that actually silences the baby's brain for labor to reduce the baby's vulnerability to hypoxic damage, which is basically like... Um, dam brain damage due to lack of oxygen. Isn't that fucked? That's insane. Oxytocin in the mother goes through the placenta to the baby's brain, flips the switch so the baby's brain like shuts down because it knows it's going to be without oxygen because it's getting shoved out of vagina right now. <laughs> BRB. <laughs> BRB, getting born. <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, like when, you know when on your Facebook it says like was born in or whatever? <laughs> yeah. BRB. My yeah. mom just shut my brain off. Yeah. That's like the ultimate grounding. Yeah. Um, another one, and I have a feeling you'll think this is really interesting, uh, and I don't have much on it, so don't ask me any follow-up questions, but... <laughs> These are always the best ones. A 2007 study in the journal um, Neuropsychiatric Genetics suggested that oxytocin has been implicated as a possible contributing cause of autism. Uh, one report suggested that autism is correlated with geno genomic deletion of the gene containing the oxytocin receptor gene. So oxytocin is a bonding hormone and it's thought that it contributes to autism because like there's a correlation between people with autism um, not having this gene that contains an oxytocin receptor. So like it like is a chemical reason for why people with autism would have difficulty bonding with other people. So it's not the flu vaccine. It's not <laughs> any vaccine. Listen to science versus vaccines, please. <laughs> it's not about vaccines. <laughs> I really, all. I do have a lot of follow up questions, but I will respect. I know you have follow up questions. I um, will respect your my question. answer to your all of it request. is the 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 journal is ne <laughs> neuropsychiatric genetics, and the year is two thousand seven. So go find it. We'll definitely <laughs> not go read that, but thank you for the. I just thought it was neat. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I I thought you would find it interesting. I do. Um, many studies in many species have studied oxytocin's effect on bonding. A 2003 study in the veterinary journal showed that both humans and dogs OT oxytocin levels in the blood rise after five to Did 24 minutes of petting sessions, Oh, nice! which possibly explains the role of like emotional bonding between humans and dogs, which I was like, oh. That's what I mean. My dog I love are my so dog because my brain tells me to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, is that a Beatles song? <laughs> uh, 
Oxytocin also affects social bonding, increasing positive attitudes and bonding towards individuals with similar characteristics who are classified as in-group members. Um, Example, race. A 2013 study in the journal Biological Psychology examined race and empathy and found that participants receiving uh, like a nasally administered oxytocin had stronger reactions to pictures of in-group, quote-unquote, in-group members making pain faces than to pictures of out-group members making pain faces. Like, you have more empathy towards people who you view as being in In your group group after being um, pumped with oxytocin. Yeah. Um, It also increases feelings of trust and empathy, and obviously this contributes to romantic attachments. Uh, A 2012 study in the Journal of Neuroscience showed that oxytocin actually affects the social distance between adult males and females. And I think you'll like this one, like physical distance. An oxytocin nasal spray was, was used, and it caused men who are in monogamous relationships, but not single men, to increase the distance between themselves and attractive women during a first encounter by 10 to 15 centimeters. Hold on. Going on Amazon to buy that nasal spray for Kelly. <laughs> yeah, so it suggests that oxytocin might help promote fidelity in monogamous relationships, which I okay. thought was neat. I think... That was a who knew who knew moment for me. All of this research that you found could be its own episode. Oh, like, I know. We should just thing. have an oxytocin episode. Blazing through them, but they're I know. all so good. I know. And it was like I found all this stuff and I was like, not really about sex, not really about love, but fucking cool. But so it's I'm about putting the neurochemicals. This in. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. Um, studies conducted on women have shown that oxytocin levels are increased immediately after orgasm. This is where we get into the sexy parts. So immediately after orgasm, you're pumped with this bonding hormone. Um, and it also has, uh, also as a response to stimulation of the nipple areola or genitals. Baby suckling. Uh, but yeah. Not the genitals. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're you're the gen- Yikes, Marta. <laughs> <laughs> that went... That went south, both literally and figuratively. Um, (laughs) Studies on men have shown that oxytocin levels are raised throughout sexual arousal, but no acute increase in orgasm. So just in general, having sex for men will pump oxytocin, but it's not specific to orgasm the way that it is in women. Now, I've mentioned on a few of these chemicals uh, that that they have correlation to drugs and alcohol. Oxytocin is no different. Um, Oxytocin inhibits the development of tolerance to various addictive drugs like opiates, cocaine, and alcohol, and it reduces withdrawal symptoms. And it's also released when you use MDMA or ecstasy. It's what causes that increase of feelings of love and connection with others um, along with serotonin. So wait, you said inhibits the development of, of tolerance of tolerance so then, and it reduces withdrawal symptoms so then wouldn't mdma wouldn't you never build a tolerance to mdma um what because you said it inhibits the development of tolerance like so if you're if mdma causes oh, you to release to various drugs the it referenced opiates cocaine and alcohol oh, okay, specifically okay, okay. not mdma but it is released when you use mdma or yeah. ecstasy yeah okay. so i don't know about that but follow-up study i don't know i feel like some of these drugs regardless of the other chemicals that they're releasing they're really fucking they're addictive things, and yeah. maybe they conquer those chemicals we know. do have an episode of addiction like somewhere in the docket don't we uh absolutely we do um maybe we will learn more yeah. 
dongs that episode. Lots um, of TED Talks about addictions. And I know you're a fan of a good I'm TED Talk. I'm a big fan of TED Talks. I didn't watch any TED Talks for this, which I was a little disappointed in myself over because they get me so like riled. But yeah, as they should. More think, to come. I think the TED Talk mission statement is the riling. Yeah. Riling talks. They, they say it's ideas worth sharing, but it's actually Riling. ideas that get you riled. Yeah. Um, so ideas that get you fired up. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I want to talk about vasopressin. Uh, it's very similar to oxytocin. It's also a peptide hormone that comes from the hyponamphalamus. And it also plays a role in social behavior, sexual motivation, and pair bonding, and maternal response. Eh. Maternal responsiveness? Yeah, and maternal responses to stress. Uh, it was originally thought that vasopressin was mainly part of regulating your kidneys, uh, but then they did a study on prairie voles, which are like little prairie rodents. I think I know the study. You probably do. I found it in many places. Um, it showed that oxytocin released into the brain, uh, It like oxytocin and vasopressin were present in this particular study um so they studied prairie voles showing that oxytocin released into the brain of the female during sexual activity is important in forming a pair bond with her sexual partner and a study done on male prairie voles in which they were given a drug that suppresses the effect of vasopressin um, it showed that their bond with their partner deteriorated immediately so when they didn't have vasopressin their bond went straight in the gutter and they lost their devotion and failed to protect their partner from a new suitor. Um, and the reason that they used prairie voles, I did not know this, but the reason that they use them is that they are a monogamous species Pair and they bond. show the, uh, pardon me, they share par parental roles the way that we do. It's not like the man just takes off like a lot of spe species. Um, and so that's part of why research researchers will use prairie voles um, when studying social behavior um, monogamous prairie voles. Ugh. You can do it. Monogamous prairie voles are known to have higher levels of receptors for these neurotransmitters than voles who don't yet have a mate. And when otherwise promiscuous montane voles, which is like a cousin of the prairie vole, um, when otherwise promiscuous montane voles are dosed with oxytocin and vasopressin, they adopt the same monogamous behavior of their prairie vole cousins. Huh. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. Um, so that's what I have for the chemicals of love. Um, do you want to talk at all about testosterone for a bit or do you want me to go through pheromones before we do that? Um, no, we can go right into pheromones. Okay, then let's go right into pheromones. Sidebar, do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Yes. Did you watch season nine? I don't know. Oh, well, you probably didn't because one of the drag queen's names is Pheromone. And I just thought it was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah. I didn't really like her. Well, I shouldn't say that. I did really like her, but she had a very obnoxious, um, oh, oh. she would like whine about everything, but otherwise... She was adorable. She was really very, very cute. She reminded me of Derek from season eight. I watched um, the seasons containing and around Bianca Del Rio. Um, I think it's like six, seven, something. Oh, like that. I haven't seen I've only seen eight and nine because they're the only two that are on Netflix. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited for season ten because I just I'm really into RuPaul now. I don't know. It's, it's great. It is. It's super fun. Honestly, um. <laughs> whenever, whenever my roommate and I didn't want to like do our work in school, we would watch either American Horror Story or 
Drag Race? RuPaul's Drag, drag Race, yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, well, then you should watch season nine because it starts with um, Mother Gaga. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's... I just ruined that for you, but she's in Mother the Gaga. Episode. Yeah. Perfect. Mother, well, Mother Monster, but, like, I just... Mother Gaga. Got we it. have to cut this anyway. Potato, potato. Potato, potato. Um, okay. Pheromones. Listening. Um, pheromones are secreted or excreted chemical factors that trigger... Uh, social response in members of the same species they're like basically like they're chemical odors essentially um there are many types of pheromones for different purposes like alarm aggression defense and of course sexual attraction and they all act as part of me i'm really worried that i did the exact same research that you're about to say so i guess we're about to see i did a lot about smelling people um, I'm not actually going to talk that much Perfect. about smelling good. a little bit about smells, but not I'm going to leave that for you. Okay. Um, basically though, pheromones all act as chemical cues to trigger a response. Um, in animals, sex pheromones signal mating behaviors or dominance and indicate the availability of a female for breeding. Male animals may also emit a pheromone and that conveys information about their species and their genotype to help like the woman decide whether or not she wants to mate with that male um sex pheromones are released by an organism to a like a like a living thing organism was a pretty scientific word to use there got it definitely a copy and paste um (laughs) (laughs) to attract an individual of the opposite sex uh to encourage them to mate with them or to perform some other function closely related with sexual pre-production um Sex pheromones also specifically focus on indicating females for breeding um, and it, and attracting the opposite sex. And um, the odors release, can, pardon me, the odors released can be seen as a favorable trait selected by either the male or the female leading to attraction and ultimately copulation. Um, pheromones also signal genetically different mates to avoid inbreeding. Um, females are often selective when deciding to mate and chemical communication ensures that they find a high quality mate that will satisfy their reproduction needs. And this has been studied basically since the time of Darwin and, and, um, it's all very well documented. Um, and like, as far as Darwin goes in his, uh, work, the descent of man and selection in relation to sex, uh, in that work, he says that odors are sort of like a male ornament uh, selected for breeding because males usually compete for scarce females, which make adaptive choices based on male traits. Um, the choice can benefit the female directly and or genetically. Uh, so some examples of that. In tiger moths, females choose the males that produce the most pheromone. Uh, basically, it's a, an honest signal of the amount of protecti- protective alkaloids the male has, um, as well as an indicator of the size of female offspring. Females fertilized by like these more pheromone-ridden moths uh, will lay more eggs. Huh. Um, and I don't like cockroaches, but this is interesting. Male cockroaches form dominance hierarchies based on pheromones, like badges. Um, And females will use the same pheromones. Like, they'll look for those badges when they're making their choice for their mate. Huh. Which I didn't know. 
but I don't really want to know that much about cockroaches anyway. Mm -mm. An interesting fact, although various researchers have investigated the possibility of human sex pheromone, no study has actually led to the isolation of a true human sex pheromone. Um, I legit had that question on the tip of my tongue because I read something like that in my research too that said there's no human pheromone. So I was going to say, you mentioned all these animals, but... I specifically am mentioning animals because there aren't really... um, any studies that actually say like there's I think anecdotal stuff that leads to it but there's nothing that says like yeah here's a pheromone the way that so many other species show that um so humans like humans are very dependent on visual cues when it comes to close proximity smell does play a role in like social sexual behavior um but an inherent difficulty in studying human pheromones is the need for cleanliness and odorlessness in human participants Hmm. um also we don't live in a smell centered world the way that a lot of other species do like so many other species rely a smell on smell as their primary sense and like especially a lot of other mammals and like humans don't um now having said that i am still going to talk about smells because i did find some cool stuff about it um yeah, so i really hope you're not going to talk about just just do it we'll, we'll then, see we'll yeah. see um the strongest evidence for pheromone signaling between humans uh was revealed by dr martha mcclintock in uh, 1998 when she found that the menstrual cycles of women living together tend to synchronize because of chemical messages released in their sweat so that's why like friends sync up apparently basically. there's evidence for an alpha female so like there's one that like governs where the others sync to whoa yeah And I've always liked to think of myself as an alpha female, but I have no idea. That's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah, that's really crazy. Um, More recently, um, this year, like, uh, well, this year, but 2017, technically it's 2018. Not even technically. It is actually 2018 right now. A study study published within the last 12 months uh, in the journal Neuron used uh, positron emission tomography, PET, scanning uh, techniques to analyze the brain of 24 men and women while they smelled chemicals nearly identical to the naturally produced estrogen and testosterone. So it was like a synthetic estrogen and testosterone. It found like the synthetic hormones turn on the brain's hyponymphalamus, which is normally not activated by regular odors. Um, It also found that the brains of men and women respond differently to these hormones. Women's... um, You say the word because I can't keep saying hyponymphalamus, even though it's funny. Hypothalamus? Yeah. But you know what? I was just questioning myself. I was like, shit, is it hypothalamus? Hypothalamus? I think it doesn't make a huge difference. In women, (laughs) that area of the brain is activated when they smell the chemical similar to to testosterone, but not the estrogen-like, like synthetic estrogen. And men have the opposite response. They're that section of the brain in men is turned on by only the estrogen-like chemical and not the testosterone-like one. So basically, the way that we chemically perceive the opposite sex... Pardon? Inverse. It's inverse. Yeah, 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 yeah. The way that we chemically perceive the opposite sex is really different than the way that we perceive members of the same sex. And research believe, researchers believe this could explain why some of our behaviors are gender-specific. So I thought that was sort of, that was neat. Um, 
another sidebar here, a lot of perfume companies have tried to capitalize on the potential for sex pheromones in humans. Um, and so like they've, they've added these chemicals to their fragrances so that they can say that it'll make you more sexually attractive to men or women or whatever. Um, they probably don't work though, because pheromones are species specific. And so, and, and a lot of them will use, use like horse pheromones or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Or um, I think the most common one is pig, but like pigs, deer, like they basically they're using pheromones from other species. So <laughs> I'm just imagining maybe you'll go to a farm and a pig will really like you, but it's probably not going to look, work on that guy you like at work or I'm something imagining you're wearing like chanel number no. five and all the pigs like surround you <laughs> i feel like chanel number no. five probably wouldn't do that uh you're wearing pheromone by chelo yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes for sure um Pheromones that trigger a behavioral response are called releasers. And the best example in humans is actually in newborn babies who seem to be guided by their mother's, uh, guided to their mother's breast by scent. So like possibly there are like, again, this is all like the best research saying that there are human pheromones, but it's not like super solid. Yeah. Yeah. But on this study, they found newborns actually move in the direction of the odor source, which are said to be secretions from the areolar gland uh, on the mother's nipples. Uh, And, and that's the source of the odor and that's the baby's cue to like, go looking for it. I'm just imagining like a little truffle pig. (laughs) Oh, like, like, mommy. <laughs> yes, yes. Keep the pigs in it. Yeah, absolutely. My apologies to any new mothers, expecting mothers that are listening to this, who we are, who I am offending, but I don't think that's offensive. Got a little truffle pig. Sometimes little babies do look like pigs because they have their noses all like turned up like that because they're not full grown yet. It's cute. And baby pigs are cute also true pigs in general are cute unless they're those like gigantic ones my friends owned a pig just one yeah was it a pot belly pig did it live in their house yeah that's one of my house. dream pets but like pigs do like little love bites oh. and so every so often she'd fucking nip you always and I like think a pig bite would hurt a lot it sucked yeah it sucked and she was like really stubborn and would come and like wrestle you for your food and pigs are really fucking strong yeah like, they could crush your head and your jaws in, pigs are very jaws. smart as well they yes. have big brains yeah. yeah so she was she ended up getting taken away because she like kind of bullied the dogs on the block oh but like, she didn't she didn't like actually she didn't hurt them but she like body check <laughs> I think it's very funny the idea of a, a pig communicating with other dogs like that where all the dogs are barking at each other and there's this like big bully pig that's just like, just like oh, oh, fuck oh. you yeah. yeah um anyway probably the most credible study that I found for pheromones triggering sexual response in humans is a study conducted in 2004 uh published in the journal behavioral ecology In this study, and this I unfortunately, it might be something that you have in your research, um, a group of men and a group of women each rated the sexual attractiveness and intensity of t-shirts odors worn by 42 women who are using birth control and by 30 women who are not using birth control. Did you use this? No, but I'm really glad you're doing it. Oh, okay, great. I was like, 
I was wondering, I didn't have any studies of wi- men sniffing t-shirts. I only have women sn- sniffing t-shirts. So. Well, this one is like actually specific Please to men sniffing on. t-shirts. So males rated the sexual attractiveness of non-pill users. Mm-hmm. They rated their sexual attractiveness highest at the middle of their cycle. Um, so like around ovulation, neither sex rated attractiveness of the odors of pill users, according to their menstrual cycle. And this result suggests that men can actually smell uh, and distinguish between ovulating and non-ovulating women. Um, and the contrasting results between pill users and non-users may indicate that oral contraceptive, pardon me, The contrasting results between pill users and non-users might indicate that oral contraceptives demolish the cyclic attractiveness of odor, like, like odor relates to your cycle. Is you ovulating? (laughs) You smell good. Girl, you must be ovulating because you smell good. Girl, carry my product. What's the word? That would hands down be the worst pickup line, by the way. (laughs) Carry my progeny. Um, but this study was very, very clear, (laughs) very clear multiple times, uh, in saying that the evidence really, like, it was interesting evidence and it all just said more research is needed here. Like it didn't, the study itself said this proves nothing other than we need to research this further. So very cool, very interesting, but needs for the research. Um, there was another study I read that, and I lost the link, so I don't have a lot of details here, uh, but it took sweat from the underarm of a man and put it on the lip, like above the lip of a woman right below her nose, and women reported mm. feeling less tense and more relaxed than they did okay, when you did the same thing with a placebo. I have this, uh, it's smelling the odor of your partner actually like reduces cortisol levels. Whoa. Yeah, and cortisol is linked to stress. Yeah. So. Very interesting. Yeah. The, the like, title of the whatever link that I found was, feeling stressed? <laughs> feeling stressed? Sniff your man's t-shirts. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, perfect. And then I found the academic article about it. But, yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So, this is coming up to the end of my stuff here. Uh, even though there's not a lot of proven research on pheromones effect on human sexuality, odors do definitely play a role here. If you listen to our sense of perception episode where we talked about olfaction, um, smells certainly trigger emotional responses and you could associate smells with sex and love. Um, for example, the smell of your first boyfriend or the smell of your current boyfriend or partner. Um, you probably can't remember how many like red objects you saw earlier today or yesterday but if you think about the smell of your like first partner's cologne or perfume or the smell of their house or you know anything like that that'll bring up a ton of memories and feelings instantly um if you're associating the smell with someone you love and have sexy feelings for or with that could make you aroused or just the smell of a situation that you have sexy feelings associated with like um I don't know. I have a boyfriend that I used to date a long, long time ago, and I don't remember how he smelled, but I do distinctly remember the smell of his pillows. Um, And that brings up like immediate thoughts and feelings and memories and all that sort of stuff. So definitely smell is part of it, but humans don't really have pheromones that say yes, sex, no sex. Don't spend money on perfume that says it does. 
And that's what I got for you. Pillow smell is a real thing, eh? Yeah. Pillow smell is interesting. I thought about it because I was doing this. Pillow smell is interesting because it smells like laundry and clean and good, but also you sleep on it. So like when you sleep, yeah, it smells like your head. It smells like your shampoo. It smells like your sweat. It smells like all of those things. And it just smells good. If I have like, if I sniff Calvin's head, that sounds really weird. But like, no, I know I'm with you. You would, you know, when you like kiss the top of somebody's head and you like smell their hair, it smells like his pillows. Yeah. And it's just like sleep and cuddles and just home. Head smells a thing. Head smells Taylor will use my sh- my conditioner and shampoo sometimes on his hair or on his beard because then he'll smell like me oh that's so sweet yeah calvin doesn't do that it's pretty sweet i we're not you guys don't always share like a that. shower though that's that's also we 100 percent share a shower <laughs> we only have the one <laughs> and that's anyway that's all uh cool thank you that was a lot of it's a lot of definitions it felt like a lot of definitions i liked it though Okay, so I'm just, I just have a bunch of studies. Like, I don't have a lot of segues. I just got a bunch of studies, and that's where we're going. So the first one is testosterone, the key to sexual attractive uh, attraction, and what birds can tell us about this male hormone. So, what? I'm just excited. <laughs> um, I was. So, a, I'm just. Anytime I'm leaning towards the microphone, it's not necessarily that I'm going to say something. It just means I'm perfect. I'm excited about what you're saying. Okay. So I like this study because it uses birds. Uh, we can do more with animals than we can do with humans. For example, the birds in this study, uh, the little canaries, poor things, were castrated. Oh we cut, shit! Cut off those balls. So, yeah, they use castrated canaries, which, uh, because they're castrated, we have very close control of, like, how much testosterone they have because your testosterone is made in your gonads. So, when you cut off, when you cut off the gonads, you cut off the testosterone source. Anyway, I'm just going to keep going. Um, to... The the researchers did three... had three groups of canaries. One of them, they inserted... Okay, hold on. Okay, there's, uh, they wanted to know about sex drive and sexual attractiveness or an, an sexual attraction. So they had three groups of canaries. One of them, they injected testosterone into the medial perioptic nerve palm. Uh, the palm is known to affect motivation. So they wanted to know how testosterone in the area that's known to affect motivation affects like sexual motivation and like sexual success another one they just like drowned the brain in testosterone they just like flooded it not drowned it but flooded it with testosterone and then they had a control canary control canary did the normal things like got laid as much as control canary gets laid the one (laughs) the one with where the testosterone was put into the pom so that's the place for motivation they sang a lot more than the one than the control canaries. So they sang a lot more and singing is how canaries like attract their mates. Whoa. But the quality of their singing went down. Oh. So even though they were putting out more effort, their quality was going down. And so they were getting just about, they were getting laid just about as much as the control canary. Hmm. But the canary whose brain was flooded in testosterone did increase the amount that they were singing, but also the quality of their song output was much better. And so they were getting quite a bit, they were getting quite a bit more action from lady nary's this is making me think of humans and why it's like why rock stars are sexy it's like 
Oh. Someone with a guitar is yeah. sexy, yeah, but someone who singing. plays a guitar well is really sexy. Yeah. Yeah, and this also goes back to Esther Perel, like somebody with mastery. Yeah. Is sexy. When you get to see your partner shine, that is like when a lot of us feel most attracted to our partner. Yeah. So they know that testosterone has a lot to do with like your sexual activity and like what you do to try to get a mate, but they didn't know if it's like just in one spot or if it has to be all over and whatever. And so this is where they test what area needs to be activated or like stimulated with testosterone and it's everything which is interesting um there's another finding with testosterone that says low uh when you get older your libido drops Mm -hmm. um and this is always just thought because like it's because you're getting older there's other problems going on you're like more stressed whatever whatever it's actually because your testosterone drops as you age i saw this too and i'm glad that i didn't include it in any of i was like i have too much shit yeah but yeah cool yeah, so testosterone has to do with sex drive. When you when you age, your libido goes down, and it's probably associated with the fact that your testosterone goes down when you age. And as you said, females do have testosterone as well, and that also drives our sex drive. Um, and what's interesting is that certain pills, like the birth control pill, so some of them have more testosterone. Uh, I think it's called progesterone. Yeah, progest- progesterone. I don't know. Progesterone? Pro- progest something. Yeah. Uh, in the pill and when the pill has more of it your sex drive is higher yeah interesting um testosterone is also uh lower testosterone levels in aging males is related to hair loss as well i believe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. science versus again yeah told me about that one but yes also true um then now there's a big study that I found and it's how testosterone affects what men find attractive. So testosterone is sometimes known as the male hormone as we know, but it's also found in women. But here we're going to be talking about only how it affects men. Sorry. Um, I want to interrupt you for just a split second is to say estrogen and testosterone are in men and women. It's just that like in women there's more and in men there's more. And that's why like when someone is, transitioning like they go through hormone therapy is to like switch that up and get more of the other gendered hormone um to help them um physically take on that sex that gender yeah it's just interesting to me that you can still transition like after puberty that you can just take like testosterone and you start growing hair when where you weren't growing hair before and your breasts actually like shrink yeah yeah it's crazy Anyway, um, so research suggested that men with higher levels of testosterone are drawn to women with more typically feminine faces. And a feminine face is small jaws, bigger eyes, higher eyebrows. So the researchers at Laurentian University in Ontario, Canada, whoop, whoop, (laughs) they took um, pictures of women who were just like regularly attractive, right, with fairly symmetrical faces, whatever, whatever. And then they like CGI that or they photoshopped them to make the jaws more narrow to make the eyebrows a little bit higher and the eyes bigger um so that they had a control over um like it's there was nothing else affecting the look of these women like it wasn't that the man prefers brunettes and this girl was a blonde yeah Yeah, or like that they prefer eastern european women and this one was like southeast asian or whatever it was just the same like set of women just their faces were modified interesting yeah, and so they do that with any time, most of the time that you hear, there's a study where like people are shown pictures and told to rate on attractiveness. They're c- 
like um it's the same woman the same picture but it's like modified yeah well there's like a set of them and they try to find like a wide enough set but like if they're like oh more female or more male faces like they'll actually just modify the image itself huh rather than finding women who look more male or more female because then you're controlling for more variables cool um, so they had a set of male volunteers and there's this testosterone gel that's typically administered, like given to people who are going with through testosterone therapy, like when they're older, um, and they need testosterone for certain functions, whatever. There's this gel that has testosterone in it and half of the group got the testosterone gel put onto their backs and half of them didn't. And then they were told to rate these women, like the pictures of the women. And then they came back a little while later and they swapped. So anybody who did not have the gel, like, or both of them had gel put on them, but one of them had testosterone in it. One and of one didn't. was like a placebo. Yeah. And it was a double blind. So the researcher didn't even know what he was putting on the people. Interesting. Which are the kind of studies I like. Um, then they swapped and they did it again. And the finding pretty consistent consistently is that men found feminine faced women more attractive when they were dosed. Uh, what's also interesting though, is they rated these women on how attractive they were for short term relationships versus long term relationships. And in general, men found feminine, more feminine faced women, more attractive for short term relationships, but less so for long-term relationships, regardless of the testosterone dosing. And this is because more feminine-faced women are perceived to be less faithful because they're more likely to get other mates because they're more attractive. Whoa. Yeah, so men prefer more feminine-faced women for short-term dalliances, but when it's for longer term, they want somebody who's more faithful. But uh, when they're dosed with testosterone, they all have like the same preferences for short term. They all prefer female faced reliably, whether regardless of whether they're dosed with testosterone or not. But for long term, if they're dosed with testosterone, they tend to prefer more female faced or more feminine faced women. Yeah. Which is interesting. Whoa. Yeah. So that was interesting for me. Um, and that it's just like nuance. There's like multiple cross sections of this that like, if the if the researchers hadn't separated for short term versus long term, they would have noticed a less potent effect. But because they were saying long term, short term, the short term had no effect basically, but hmm. long term had like a larger. That's really cool. More noticeable effect. Um, there's another. Now we're going into like immune systems and how your immune system changes what you're attracted to and this is the study uh, these are the studies that i really like as we know this first one actually is a picture study and then we'll get into the smell studies so uh 74 latvian men they took a picture of them then they gave them the hepatitis b vaccine and then they gave them they took blood samples whoever the men uh, women reliably found men more attractive the sorry the men that produced the most hepatitis antibodies were on average found more attractive than the men who did not produce as many antibodies and the men who produced the most antibodies were typically the most male looking men Um, and this is for this is because testosterone is 
uh, immunosuppressive, as I've mentioned before in one of our past episodes. So if a man can afford to exhibit high testosterone traits, that means that his immune system must be stronger. Golden. Yeah. Secondary sexual traits develop under testosterone are like masculine facial features, that shoulder to waist Mm -hmm. ratio, that sort of thing. And so women find that women have evolved to find that more attractive because it suggests that your mate is more like more immune yeah or that they have stronger immunity exactly so that's why women find high testosterone exhibition more attractive it's probably not the entire reason but it's a very large reason like that women find men with higher testosterone more attractive they'll be a better mate and they'll give you better offspring yeah yeah what's interesting here though is that um cortisol comes back in um So women are finding men with higher testosterone and higher immune responses to hepatitis V vaccines, like more attractive, reliably across the board. That's crazy. What meet, what moderates this relationship is cortisol. So if a man is high, has high cortisol as well, then this relationship goes to shit. So if he's like really stressed or like if his body naturally produces a lot of cortisol, even if he has high testosterone and he has high immuno immunological strength if he has high cortisol as well then women find him less attractive than the men with low cortisol hmm Mm -hmm. so females don't like stressed out mates nobody likes stressed out mates word yeah word um and that's because cortisol could uh mean that they've had a tough life or whatever or they come from a rough like environment where your child is not likely to survive whoa Hmm. Um, but the inverse is not true for women and men like men don't find women more attractive based on their immune system and so here's do they find women more attractive or less attractive based on cortisol no huh well actually yes sorry i lied cortisol yes um, but there's other things. So they did the same thing. They took photos before and after hepatitis B shot and at different times of their ovulation cycle, because that's been recorded that that's a observed. It's a factor thing. Yeah. Ovulation cycle. Um, 52 Latvian women were taking pictures of 18 male volunteers were the ones rating these women did not find higher immune response predicted attractiveness whatsoever, but they did find that body weight and cortisol were very likely predictors of attractiveness. And this is not true for women rating men. Like, well, cortisol, yes, but not body weight. Body weight didn't seem to have, like, a reliable indicator. Hmm. So, like, severely underweight or severely overweight women didn't, like, weren't found attractive by men. And what the researchers are saying is that it's not, it might not be because of, like, a society societal thing. It could be because... Uh, evolutionarily these are likely cortisol and body weight issues are likely to be indicators of fertility problems oh yeah so like if you're having problems with your hormones you're likely to be overweight or underweight and Um, therefore if you're you're having having, and if you're having problems with your hormones that'll mess up your fertility fertility yeah and high stress is a really volatile place for a baby to grow so we take different cues but to the same end we're just looking for the best it's wild that all of these cues do have visual um 
consequences, repercussions. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. even know the word to use there because we are like humans are very visual and humans use. Like, I wonder if that's markers. like an F psych thing that like these are the cues we need to find and humans find cues best visually. And so that's how they're expressed in humans. Maybe. Yeah. Um, here we're finding one. Whereas in birds or prairie voles, it's in smells. And so that's why it comes out in smell more than in visibility. Although I think size affects it. Because we're going into smell. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm just sort of thinking out loud and yeah. yeah. Um, that's, I agree that it's, humans do have a lot more visual things than animals. Although if you consider, um, uh, not ostriches, peacocks and like birds have different, or like even butterfly, no butterflies, that's to defend themselves. But peacocks like display to show how great of a mate they are. They have all those feathers. Oh yes. But that's the male and that's, um, yeah, you're right. Look at how great I am. Look at how colorful I am. Yeah, look how attractive I am. Look at my plumage. Good word. Yeah, well, that's the word. <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> okay, I can like it anyway. Gosh. <laughs> Potato. Uh, okay, so now we're moving into smells and genetic research, which I also really like. Um, those other those other studies were all about, like, chemicals that your body can control. Like, you can take testosterone pills, like you can change that stuff, but your genetics, you can't change. And so this is something that's interesting as well on a different note. So there's a comparative survey of couples uh, and it suggests, well, actually, I'll, I'm not going to tell you what it suggests just yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not. Um, you? Genes, genes play a role in our immune system's ability to fight infections. So your immunology, yes, you build up immunity to things that you encounter in your day-to-day life, but also a lot of it is passed on to you from your parents, right? Genetically. Uh And so there's a major histocompatibility complex, um, MHC. So we're looking at MHC here, and we're going to be looking at that in my next study that I cover as well. Um, And this has to do with your genes and how genetically disposed you are to fighting off certain infections whatever whatever they studied 90 married couples and they had a computer generated set of 152 fictitious couples as a control they took the they looked at the genes of the 90 married couples and compared how similar the mhc is like the nh mhc makeup and they took the 152 couples the fictitious ones, and they studied how similar the genetic makeup is between those two because they wanted something like what is randomly occurring and like happens by chance and like what is what do those similarities look like and then what are the ones what do the similarities look like with people who actually selected each other and selected to stay with each other. So do you think that the 90 married couples and the 152 fictitious couples had the same results? Or did they have different results? And if so, like, so the question here is, um, is the MHC in both people, like the man and wife or wife and wife or man and man, uh, is it very similar or is it very different in the married couples? And is it the same? Like, do you observe the same pattern in the random couples? I don't know. I would say it's similar, but honestly, it's mostly because I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're wrong. <laughs> well, 
it was Sorry. a 50-50 chance. It really was. Um, and I also didn't, I don't think I explained it properly because I got too excited. It's <laughs> different. Um, so partners tend to choose each other with different MHC makeups. Oh, of course. Yeah. So that their babies get the best like array the best smattering of course and then the i should have guessed that <laughs> the the it's it's like even more of a difference than would have occurred if random so like we actually select for people with a different mhc huh. makeup because in the 152 fictitious computer generated ones like they were all like some of them were super different some of them were super similar but on average they were kind of like were midline but with couples with the actual real couples they were on average pretty different so mhc mhc is genetic right yes um i wonder if it's also a thing is it something we sense in each other yeah um i wonder if it's also something again to reduce the risk of inbreeding that we would have similar genetic makeup to like people within our, within our like family. And so we look for different to reduce that as well. So let me read to you this quote I pulled directly from the article. Okay. The flip side of the study suggests humans have evolved to find people with similar immunity genes unappealing. This would have the effect of reducing inbreeding. <laughs> sweet which got can, the first one wrong but i totally got the second part right <laughs> which can have uh, serious medical consequences for a couple's children um earlier study oh earlier studies also show that couples with similar mhc tend to have children further apart uh this might but isn't proven might be due to women having more early stage miscarriages that go undetected if they have very similar mhc to huh. their partner whoa very cool very cool and this is like real world basis real world studies that link to Psych, and we both know i love Psych. marta's so. doing like a lot of hand motion and <laughs> shoulder rolling and, and she's really feeling this yeah um my next study is mhc peptide ligands as olfactory cues in human body odor assessment basically can we smell MHC? And the answer is, fuck yeah, we can. People, <laughs> people can tell when a smell was like their own or like someone else's. And so what they did was they had um, MHC. They had like MHC that was similar to the person that they were administering this on and different from the person that they were administering this on. They had two like solutions. And so a woman was told to shower with a scent-free soap and put on a completely clean t-shirt and under one armpit put one of the solutions and under the other armpit put the other solution and then after she wore that shirt the whole day she was told to sniff one armpit and then sniff the other and then say i prefer one because or i prefer two um, and that was like one of the tests that they used and also one was i prefer this one of the they had another like test where they did the same thing but it wasn't an unscented solution it was a perfume solution with the mhc inserted and they're like i prefer this uh perfume for myself or i would prefer this kind of perfume for my partner and it's the same perfume but just the only thing that's different is the mhc hmm. and so pretty reliably they selected this one is like myself and it's the mhc that was like themselves so they can smell that it's smells like them and the one that smelled not like them they chose for their partner hmm Hmm. I wonder if all of this is like 
leading up to the misconception that there's a sex pheromone in humans and it's got nothing to do with pheromones at all. It certainly is smell, but it's like totally something else. What they also did here was they, they're like, okay, it's one thing that people are telling us these things, but it's another thing if we actually see, um, like the brain lighting up. So they did. Are you going to do a brain scan? Yeah, they did a brain scan and a functional magnetic resonance imaging fMRI indicated that when you smell a self peptide, it specifically activates a region in the right middle frontal cortex that does not get activated when you're smelling an other peptide. Huh? Hmm. Um, and then this, this article also went into like a conversation about perfumes and how perfume preference is, different for yourself than for your mate and like even though most perfumes in the stores don't have mhc you still prefer different scents for your mate and that sort of thing so anyway that was interesting i have a weird anecdote which is that yes i really love my mom's perfume uh-huh. and i, I wonder if that's a self-situation where like i like it for myself because yeah maybe i wonder and like it's also just very pretty but you know how different people when they wear perfumes they smell different like if i were to wear a perfume it smells different than when you wear a perfume and like i think part of that is mhc like when if we were wearing the same yeah. perfume yeah 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 part of that but i think there's more that goes into that everybody has their own unique smells but huh part of it is mhc then i have my final study is a meta analysis because i like to go out on my favorite that you do um women's mate preferences change across ovulatory cycle and just as i've mentioned before it's been very robustly supported we talked about oh this. yeah we talked about this yeah. yeah in a past uh past episode but i actually found a study about it this time so women evaluated men's long-term attractiveness and their short-term attractiveness uh and the cycle shifts were pretty like pretty predictable here so women found men in high men with high testosterone more attractiveness or more attractive when they were ovulating Ovulating. and then found men with low testosterone or like more not not feminine but just like lower testosterone more attractive for long term when they were ovulating and that was like really really pronounced when they were ovulating but then when they were not ovulating the it was there was way less way smaller difference between short term and long term. That's interesting because you were talking earlier about the study where men preferred women with more effeminate features for short term relationships. Same but thing, less, fidelity. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Which is actually just I I didn't write this down or think about it before, but like it's kind of more evidence that yes, we're sexual omnivores but not emotional omnivores. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Or like that. No, that's, that like, humans, that's a pretty good way of saying it. Yeah. That like humans of all, we actually have like a predisposition to want to have fidelity in our partners. Cause we select people based on how, but we also have sexual urges to <laughs> yeah. have sex with other people. Yeah, yeah. 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 So like, but when men have high testosterone, then they want, women or when they have low testosterone they want women that will stick with them because they know they can't get other mates because they have low testosterone maybe yeah and women when they're ovulating want higher testosterone males but when not ovulating they want guys who will stick around yeah 
Um, and so this just my my article, this last article was just that there was a meta analysis. And even though there are a couple studies that did not observe the cycle shift, it was mainly due to um, uh, what's the. Oh, mainly due to biases, like in the research, in the researcher or in the study itself had a bias that didn't allow them to view the cycle shift, but it's pretty robustly found. And that's it. That's everything I had. Okay. I have a question then. And I don't know if it's, maybe it's a good way to kind of wrap up this series on romantic relationships, but I don't know if you'll have an answer. So we've talked all about these chemicals of love and like, what it does to you and how it moves through you and you know all of that stuff do you think that like any of this stuff goes towards like who will be your ultimate mate like soulmate well not like a soulmate but sort of yeah like do you think that all any of like when I all of this makes sense and like on paper I'm reading it and it's like, Oh yeah, cool. Like this is how our bodies work and shit like that. But then I'm like, yeah, but I found a partner or like I've had multiple partners and like, these are the, the situations. And like, is it because I smelled something or is it because like, like, is it really because every man out in the world has some level of testosterone in them and every woman out in the world has some level of estrogen and you know we all got all kinds of serotonin and shit up in us so like does i get how it affects us but like do you think it leads to an ultimate mate yes like like there's that person out there that has the perfect level of testosterone for your perfect level of estrogen sorry i guess I misunderstood. I thought you meant like, ultimately, does this affect who we choose? Yes, I do think it does. But I don't think there's like a perfect, like one single perfect person. I'm trying to like think of it like, I don't believe in astrology, but you know how like astrology is like, oh yeah, if you're a Leo, you go best with a blah, blah, blah. You should be with this Sagittarius or like, don't go near a fucking Pisces or something like that. Like, is there something like that for hormones and chemicals and like, or do you think there is? I think biologically, yeah, maybe like there's a set of people that are your ideal dating pool because of your progeny, like, yeah, because of like your makeup and theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the kind of children that you'll produce. And like, these are the ideal people to be with so that you're, children have like the best shotgun chance at like surviving infections and stuff but because humans are complex creatures i think also mentally you need somebody like emotionally that is yeah good too. it just feels like there's so many people in the world so there's and, like yeah i think there's just a lot to it like the biological basis of it i think maybe takes like 60 or 70 percent of the men out of the equation because like they're too similar they're too genetically similar to you okay follow-up question and this might ask it a little better do you think that like all of these things are the reasons for why you have these feelings like this is the one for me or like, you know how like there's someone you have a relationship with and you might have a relationship with them for a long period of time, but you never have that like 
thing with them, like spark or whatever you want to call it. But then you meet somebody else and you like have this thing with them. Do you think that it's chemical? I'm going to be annoying and say both. I think it's chemical. I think initial attraction. Oh, excuse me. I think initial attraction is chemical. But I think long-term attraction and, like, the hardiness of your relationship and, like, your emotional cohesion is not chemical at all. Mm-hmm. But I think the person that you're instantly, like, initially, like, yeah, let's get it on, that's chemical. But then whether or not it turns into a lasting partner is all those other things, like the triangular theory of love, whatever, whatever. Cool. Just curious. What do you think? Fuck if I know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the scent scent is the only thing. Like you're not gonna be like halfway through your you're not gonna form an emotional bond with somebody and then halfway through your relationship be like, oh sorry, I just remembered I don't like the way you smell. Fuck off. Yeah, I guess that's true. Right? Or like there wouldn't be a switch in your brain that says, Y'all don't have enough testosterone. So see And ya. also if that were the case, then there wouldn't be couples with similar MHC. There are couples with similar MHCs. Yeah. Right? And they just have babies less often, but they're still couples and arguably potentially are happy. Yeah, and it's not like their babies are worse. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, just wondered. Just (laughs) wondered what you thought. Because we've talked all about the, like, emotional psychology side to love and sex and all of that. And now we've talked about the chemical side to it. And just wondered what you thought. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps things up in that case. Well, it's so it's been a while. Yeah. Thanks for coming along for the ride, everybody. Thank you for listening. Um, that that does wrap up the psychology of re- relationships, at least for now. Although, as we've said, in pretty much every episode, we've found lots of things that could be its own episode. So maybe we'll be back. Maybe we'll come back to this. <laughs> Who knows? We don't. We didn't. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, thank you, everybody else, uh, who's been listening as we've gone and everyone who has reached out to us on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that or Reddit. Uh, it's been very cool getting to connect with you and, and uh, hearing what you think. On that note, you can find us in all of these places. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are Who Knew We Didn't everywhere you can also email us at who knew we didn't at gmail.com um and if you're feeling generous please subscribe to who knew we didn't on itunes or whatever your favorite podcast app is uh and if you could please rate and review it that would be awesome as well that really helps us um reach out to other listeners uh so yeah do that if you have a second and feel so inclined that would be lovely and uh yeah so thanks for listening and to make a great pun on all of these things we've talked about today (laughs) smell you later (laughs) 